Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. As, are you white? Good morning. That was like a good morning, but that's okay. Um, as Pastor Pete said, today is the first message in a three-part Christmas series, and I get to share this series with Pastor Pete and with Pastor Randy. You're gonna hear from each one of us in this three-part series. So I wanna kick off this series by taking us back in time to an event uh, that occurred in the not-so-distant past. We're gonna go back to the date, June 6, 1944. Now, some of you, you immediately know the event that we're talking about, and you understand its significance. But in case anybody's wondering, this is D-Day, an event we call D-Day, or in other words, Operation Overlord, was the name given to the military mission. On June the 6th, 1944, more than 160,000 Allied forces, they landed in Nazi-occupied France as part of the biggest air, land, and sea invasion ever executed in history. Shortly after midnight on June the 6th, over 18,000 Allied paratroopers were dropped into the invasion area. area. Allied air forces flew over 14,000 sorties. Nearly 7,000 naval vessels were responsible for escorting and landing over 132,000 ground troops on the beaches of Normandy. D-Day is largely considered the turning point in the war. It marked the beginning of the end of Hitler's tyrannical regime and rule. D-Day was this strategic move of enormous importance and impact in the war, in a war that was destroying the entire world. Now, I I'm guessing that most of you are probably thinking, why in the world are you starting a Christmas series talking about D-Day? Well, believe it or not, Christmas and D-Day actually have a lot in common. D-Day is actually this really great illustration that can help us understand what Christmas is really all about. And again, you're going like, what? What are you talking about, Kim? I mean, Christmas is about what we just saw. It's about giving and serving and helping others. And it's about love. It's about helping those in need. It's about happy things like decorating trees and, and kids opening their presents. It's about singing Oh Holy Night and waving a glow stick on Christmas Eve. It's about Jesus' birthday. It's all about joy and peace and, and stuff like that. And you're absolutely right. Christmas has become about all of those wonderful things, but, but when we dive into the scriptures, we, we actually discover so much more. You see, something much bigger and far greater was occurring on that first Christmas some 2,000 years ago. So our desire in this Christmas message series is to help all of us see and experience Christmas this year in a very new and different way, perhaps. From a new perspective, one that's laid out for us in the scriptures, and that perspective is this, war. Merry Christmas! <laughs> As Pastor P says, our video shared, the title of the message series is Nativity Singularity. It's kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? But nativity actually means birth, and by singularity, what we mean 
It is a single unique event of enormous importance and impact. The birth of the one called Jesus, it was a single unique event of enormous importance and impact. And just like D-Day, the birth of Jesus was a major turning point in the war. There she goes again, talking about war. What are you talking about, Kim? What war are you talking about? Well, for this war, and to understand it, we got to go back again. We got to go back in time. We got to go way back. Matter of fact, we don't, we don't just go way back in time. We go way back before time. We're going to go back to eternity past. You see, it all begins with the eternal plan of our God and our creator. Years ago, Pastor Randy, he did a message series that he called The Big Picture. And in it, he laid out for us God's eternal plan as it's revealed to us in the scriptures. And then he was able to take and shrink it down to just this one little explanation. God's eternal plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings, perfect beings, united in loving devotion to Christ, their creator, and to one another. This eternal plan of God, it started with the creation of, of some beings that the, that the scriptures call angels. Now, now, angels is actually just a generic term it's actually it mean it just means messenger it's more of the role that they play so it's a generic term but it's used to describe these billions of other created beings that actually inhabit our universe ancient civilizations of species that are very different from humans ones that came into existence long long before human beings came on the scene they were the beginning of God's plan for an eternal family of Christ-like beings united in loving devotion to Christ and to one another until, until one of these beings had a different plan. A very high-ranking angel named Lucifer, he had his own plan and it was a plan that was an opposition, complete and utter opposition to the plan of God. So scripture describes how Lucifer, how he was prideful and how he was arrogant. He, he, he didn't need God. He didn't want God. He was discontent with his position. He wanted more, felt like God was holding out on him. He didn't want to serve God. He wanted to be served. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be worshiped as God himself. Listen how the prophet Isaiah explains it. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, for you said to yourself, I will send to heaven and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne and be like the most high. So you see in his pride and his arrogance and his discontent, Lucifer, he just led this rebellion and he started a campaign against God. One that would slander God's character. One that would seek to thwart the plans of God. And according to Revelation chapter 12, it indicates that he convinced one-third of the angelic population of these other created beings to join him in his rebellion, his rebellion against God, their creator. Victory for Lucifer. Victory. One-third of them are coming with me. Now, folks, this is no small thing. I mean, this created chaos in the universe, it was the beginning, the entrance of evil and sin into God's perfect creation. 
The universe was no longer a safe and harmonious place because now there's this massive army of beings that they didn't just pack up and leave, they were aggressively, are aggressively opposed to God and his will, his plan for the universe, seeking to install their own plan. This was an insurrection and a war had begun. This one leading the insurrection, as we said, his name's Lucifer, but in scripture he's called several different things. He's known as Satan, which just means adversary. He's God's adversary. He's called the devil, which means deceiver. It doesn't mean little red man with two horns. It just means deceiver. That's what the word devil means. He's called a slander. He's called a liar. He's called the wicked one, the evil one. There are other names as well. One of Jesus's disciples, Peter, he makes it so clear to us how this being is our enemy. Peter said this, he said, watch out. Watch out for your great enemy. Who's our great enemy? The devil, the deceiver. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to do what? To devour. Devour, that's a big word, that's a harsh word. Why? Because he's at war with God. The apostle Paul to some Ephesian believers, he said it this way. He said, all right, get ready. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of who? The deceiver, the devil. For we're not fighting, we're fighting? Apparently, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities. Where? In the unseen world against mighty powers, where? In this dark world, and against evil spirits, where? In the heavenly places. He says, we gotta put on some armor, why? Because there's a war. There's a war. There's a war going on, and it's been going on for a really long, long time, long before we were even created. We just became a part of the battle when God chose to create a new species called humans. Genesis 1, it says, so God created human beings in his own likeness. He created them as male and female. God creates this new species to inhabit and to rule over planet Earth with him. And to these beings, he gives an unbelievable ability that he had not given to the other created beings. Through this beautiful, utterly beautiful male-female design, he gives humans the ability to create life, to make other beings in our own image. And when, when I ponder that, I can only imagine how that must have just fueled Lucifer's anger toward God. Jesus once said this about Lucifer, about Satan. In John 10, 10, he calls him a thief and he says that this, this thief, he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Why? Because he's at war with God. And that's exactly what Satan does when he comes into the garden and he meets the first two humans, Adam and Eve, God's new creation. He steals and he kills and he destroys what God had planned for his newly created beings called humans. And you know how he does this? He does this by just successfully planting ideas in their minds. Ideas that were actually in his 
own heart. You can't trust God. He's not, he's not good. He's a liar. He's lying to you about that tree and what will happen if you eat from it. He just wants to exert power over you and he just wants to control you and he, and he wants to strip any fun from you, any joy from you. He wants to take away from you. He wants to take away your freedom and he wants to make you worship him. He projected onto God what was in his own heart. He slandered God's good and beautiful character. And Adam and Eve bought into Satan's lies all his lies about the creator and his lies about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, rather than trusting that when God warned them not to eat from it, it was out of his love because he wanted to protect them. So as a result of their distrust and their choice to eat, they experienced something that they had never, ever known before, never experienced. Fear. Fear. It says that they ran and they hid for the first time from their creator in Genesis. Adam says, I heard you in the garden. He's speaking to the Lord God. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. He'd never been afraid before, but suddenly he's afraid. And so what I do, I, so I hid, I hid from you. And human beings, we human beings, we have been running and hiding from God ever since. Victory for Satan, right? Adam and Eve were the first to be deceived. They were the first to distrust. But folks, throughout time, many, many people, many humans have come to this same devastating conclusion. That even if there is some kind of a God, a creator, he certainly can't be trusted. He, he just wants to use his power to control us. He just wants to take stuff away from us, our fun and our freedom, and he just wants to make us worship him. He wants to exert his power over us. And every time that happens in a human heart, victory for Satan. Now, did any of this, did any of this take God by surprise? Not at all. Not at all. In his infinite wisdom and in his foreknowledge, God knew that creating free beings with this capacity to experience life the way he does at the level he does, he knew it would mean that some would misuse their freedom and that they would choose to go their own way. And he knew exactly what it would take to win back, to win back hearts and to restore trust and to restore his creation. Randy often shares this. The biggest problem in our universe today, and it always has been the biggest problem in the universe is distrust in God, our creator. We just don't trust him. And that lack of trust produces disobedience to his will. Instead of doing things God's way, the perfect way, the way we're designed, we go our own way. We think we know better. The only way that trust can be restored is through God's willingness, catch these words, if he's patiently, consistently, and gently reveal himself so that he can demonstrate his trustworthiness. So just as Lucifer started his campaign of slandering God in his character, God the creator now starts his campaign to restore trust by slowly, 
patiently, gently, and consistently revealing himself, his true loving and good character. The entire Old Testament scriptures is what we would call a partial revelation of God's character. You see, through his interactions with a few people directly and then through the establishment of the nation of Israel, God begins to reveal what he's really like. Israel, the nation was meant to be his revelatory people. He would reveal himself to them with the intention of revealing himself through them so that the entire rest of the world could know what he's really like. So through 1,500 years or so of history, we, we see in the Old Testament, you just see the battle between Satan and God in so many different ways. And so often, Satan is able to deceive and influence God's people, causing them to just turn away from God, their creator, turn to idols and false gods time and time again. When, when Israel eventually experiences a civil war and it's divided as a nation, victory for Satan, you know, when the northern kingdom is captured by the Assyrians and taken into captivity, victory for Satan. When the southern kingdom is captured by the Babylonians and taken into captivity, victory for Satan. When there's 400 years of silence, no prophet speaking to the people of Israel on God's behalf, victory for Satan. He has silenced his enemy. It would seem... It would seem that Satan is winning the war. But God the creator, he's about to make a major strategic move that is extraordinary. You see, up to this point, he's been revealing himself and his true character only partially through people. But now, now he's about to reveal himself fully and completely in the person of Jesus in order to overturn the slander and restore humanity. Humanity, humans, and, and even angels, we will be able to see and know things about God the creator that we just couldn't fully see any other way from his birth to the cross in the person of Jesus. So through this full and complete revelation, we will be able to see the true heart of God we will be able to see how kind, gentle, compassionate, merciful, forgiving, how good he actually really is, truly is. And we will see that he's the safest person in the universe. And he will prove the depth of his love by dying on a cross. We'll be able to see that there's no one, there's no one who loves us like he loves us. And as we see him fully and completely, we will know that we can trust him fully and completely because the almighty God and creator is safe, he's humble, he's gentle, and, and he is completely always governed by sacrificial love. His power, his almighty power is governed by his sacrificial love. You see, like D-Day, this, this strategic move is a major turning point in the war. It's major, it's huge, it's big. 
So you would think, you would think that this major move of God, that it would be big and it would be loud like D-Day, right? That he would come in blazing glory in the sky to reveal himself. That is what's gonna happen the second time he comes. That's what it's gonna be like. But this first time, this full revelation, the first time of himself, he shows up on the planet as a baby. A baby. So with all of this in mind, as a backdrop now, as a context from this new expanded perspective, I want us to look at some scriptures that show us how God carries out this major strategic move in the war, a war for hearts, for your heart and for my heart. Listen how it goes. Here's a strategy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and he said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and you're gonna give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a a virgin. The angel replied, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. That's from Luke's gospel. When we go to Matthew's gospel, it picks us up and it tells us about this man she was to be engaged, she was engaged to be married to, Joseph, to whom she was engaged. He was a righteous man. He loved God and he loved God's ways. And so he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided, I'm gonna break the engagement quietly. I'm gonna do the right thing, break the engagement. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He says this, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This this major initiative, this significant strategy, uh, strategic move of God to reveal himself fully now and win back the trust of human beings to win back your trust and to win back my trust, it was carried out in this very simple, quiet, secretive, humble, even vulnerable way. Now, just in case anyone here has still been questioning this whole war thing, I, w- I want to share something with you. After Jesus was born, some wise men came searching for this one that they knew. They'd followed the stars. They knew the prophecy. They knew he was meant to be king. Um, it says they came to worship him. They came looking for him. And, and we know that story of the wise men, right? But, but there's part of the story we may not know, or at least we don't read every Christmas. You see, they go and they see King Herod, the king at that time over Israel, and and they talk about this one that they're following the star to find, they wanna worship him, and Herod doesn't like that. 
He's the king. So he tries to convince the, the wise men to say, you know, will you go find him and then come tell me? And they trick him. They find him, but they don't come back. Look at Herod's response. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So what did he do? What's his response? He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. That's part of the Christmas story that very few people know, and we don't tend to read, right? But if that doesn't convince us that there's a war, Satan was seeking to utterly destroy God's plan, I don't know what else could. The title of today's message, I haven't given you that yet. The title in this nativity singularity, the first one is its simplicity and profundity. The reason I waited this long to share it is because I just didn't want to have to say profundity. (laughs) You all know that is not a Kim word. We know where that word came from, right? You all know, Pastor Randy, is that not a Pastor Randy word, profundity? And I'm like, you really gonna make me say profundity? You're gonna make me talk? He was like, well, that's what it is. I said, well, how about we, let's dumb it down a little bit for Kim. Simple and profound. (laughs) Simple and profound. That's more up my alley. God breaks into history in this unprecedented way. The partial revelation becomes a full revelation of himself. And this thing we call Christmas now, you see, it isn't just some sentimental event. It's a massive strategic move of God to win back hearts of those he created and dearly loves. It's profound what God is doing, yet he carries out this plan in the most simple way. He enters his own creation as a baby. So now with this new expanded perspective on this event we call Christmas, I I just want to use the remaining time to, to think about two simple yet powerful things. And the first is this, what does Christmas then tell us about God and how he works God's strategy was to do his most profound work in this very quiet, secretive, simple way. And his strategy today has not changed. It's the same. You see, so often you and I, man, we want to see God show up in these big ways and loud and obvious and in-your-face kind of ways, right? But that's not the way he works. In Isaiah God himself said these words. He says, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God doesn't think the way that we think or do things the way we would do them or do them the way we would want them done because his thoughts and his ways are profound in their simplicity. So it makes me wonder who here today, maybe you've been praying about a situation in your life and you're not seeing the results that you want to see. Things aren't playing out the way you think they should and the way it's just obvious to you that they should and, 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 and you're thinking, why isn't God working? He's not working in my situation. He's not listening to my prayers. He's not answering my prayers. 
we're shit. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. If that's you, how I hope and pray that you will let this Christmas message give you hope and give you confidence that if you've turned to him in trust and you belong to him, God is at work, I promise you. Just not the way that, that, that you're expected or, or maybe not the way that you want or you think it should be, but he is working. He is working in quiet, secretive, simple ways because that's how God works. That's how God works. Why does God work in this way? I think it's because his methodology flows right from his nature. You know, it's not just something that he chooses to do, it's who he is. Jesus said it this way when he was on the planet. It's a verse we often read, and we're gonna focus on one part. He, he said, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for, and he tells us something about himself. And I can only imagine how his heart was just, know this about me, please, listen, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Jesus just assures us that we're safe with him. There's no one we are more safe with. He's the safest person in the entire universe. He will never ever force himself or his ways on anyone. He demonstrated his amazing love and his trustworthiness by dying on a cross and now he, he just leaves it up to us. It's up to us whether or not that we, we come to him. We choose to, to trust, to restore our trust in him, our creator, the lover of our souls. He says, I've done all I can. Now it's, it's up to you. I'll never force myself upon you. Our creator's gentle and he's humble in heart. And folks, he does his best and his most profound work in gentle quiet, secretive, simple ways. You know, we have a 31 history here at FCF Church and God has done amazing things and so many amazing, much of his amazing work has been done through Pastor Randy and his teaching and his leadership. But right alongside that, no one has any idea about the work God has done in a very quiet, secretive, simple way through a woman named Mary Lou. You don't even know who she is, do you? A few. God has done some of his best and most profound work through this woman who only a few know. You see, Mary Lou has been praying consistently and faithfully for FCF Church, for Pastor Randy, for more than 20 years, I, I, I'm not sure of how many, I'm guessing it's been around 25 years of our 31 year history. Pastor Randy just told me last week, there's never been a message series that he hasn't gotten an email from Mary Lou that says, how can I be praying through this series? How can I specifically be praying through this series? I don't think we will ever know or fully appreciate the enormous impact of Mary Lou's consistent and faith, faithful prayers done in quiet, done in secret until we get on the other side of history. Because God does some of his best and most profound work in quiet, secretive, humble, simple ways. And I just wanna say, I know there are many others I could say the same thing about 
especially prayers. I know some of the other prayers out there and I appreciate you so, so much. But Mary Lou, just the long track record of 25 years, just felt that needed to be shared. God delights, absolutely delights in using humble, simple people. People like Mary and Joseph to carry out his plans. People like Mary Lou to make impact which is the answer to our second question, what does Christmas tell us about those God works through? God does his best and his most profound, impactful work through those who are gentle and humble in heart like himself, just like himself. In Isaiah, we have these words. These are the ones who I look on with favor, God says. Those who are what? Humble humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. And in the New Testament, James added, the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, favor. God's favor was upon Mary, the angel said. Grace, favor to the humble. God opposes the proud because he simply cannot work through prideful, arrogant, self-sufficient people. But when God finds a person who is humble, someone who recognizes their dependence on the creator, their need for him, someone who desires him and his ways, watch out. Watch out because God is about to do some of his greatest and most profound work through that person. No doubt, no doubt. You know why God is able to do his greatest and most profound work through humble people? Because they have a simple yes in their spirit. Yes, in their spirit. You see, Mary, she had a yes in her spirit. This was her response to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I'm saying yes, yes to you, Lord. And Joseph, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. He had a yes, a yes for the Lord. Neither of them knew the full plan. They, they didn't, God didn't lay for them out the complete picture and all that he was going to do and exactly how it would play out. I mean, I can't help but wonder as I thought about this. I wonder if they knew that this baby the angel talked about, spoke about, that if they knew he was going to go to a cross one day, would they still have said yes? And for me, that makes me think, you know, Perhaps there's a loving reason that God doesn't always show me the full and complete picture of how he's working. It's out of love that he says, no, I'm just going to show you this much. Just trust me. Just trust me with this much. He simply, simply wants us to trust him with the part of his plan that's right in front of us in the moment. Mary and Joseph, they responded to God's profound plan with a simple yes, because they simply trusted him. They knew his character to be completely loving and his ways to be utterly good, no question. So I can't help but wonder if maybe in that moment, maybe if they weren't holding on to to some of King David's words in the Psalms, uh, one, you know, scripture that they certainly would have been familiar with, very familiar with. Psalm 18, as for God, his way is perfect. 
The word of the Lord has stood the test. His way is perfect. So I say, yes, yes, Lord, yes. Psalm 40, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So I say, yes, yes. Does that describe you today? Is there a yes in your spirit today? Is there a yes for what God wants to do in your life and a yes for what God wants to do through your life? Do you have a yes in your spirit today? You know why Joseph and Mary were able to say yes to this huge plan of God, I think? Because it wasn't their first yes. They had, they had said yes many, many times before. They had said yes over and over again to God and his will for them. And that's why God knew they were gonna say yes to this. And, and that's the thing about yes. You see, each time we say yes to God and his will, it makes the next yes a little bit easier. Our, our yes muscle gets stronger and more flexible, you know? From one yes to the next yes, our faith gets stronger and our love for God in his beautiful ways grows deeper and deeper inside of us and our souls. And with each yes, God is, he's able then to do something. He's able to guide and direct us. He's able to develop us and change us and lead us into what we call here at FCF Church, our full redemptive potential in Christ. That's certain, just simply becoming the person, the Christ-like being that he wants in his eternal family, the person we were all created to be. It's through our yes. It's through our yes that he can guide us there and develop us and change us. God does his most profound work in us and in our lives through our simple yes. Our greatest weapon in this war that is going on in the heavenly realms and right here on earth is our yes. Our yes to God, our yes to his good and loving ways. Our yes to his plan for our lives, not our own ideas. I love these words from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian believers. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ, our creator, with a resounding yes. Yes, his promises are fulfilled in Christ. And through Christ, through our trust in him, our amen, and I love how the NLT says, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It's to his glory because our yes shows the rest of the word, world how good and how loving and how trustworthy he is. Do you have a simple yes in your spirit today for the profound work that God wants to do in you and through you? A yes, a yes just to the thing that's right in front of you at this moment. What, what is the will of God for you right now? What's that action he wants you to take? Or, and he's just waiting for your yes. Only you know. Only you know. But I'll bet you know exactly what it is. God, is. God has made his will for some action or for some change in your life. He's made it clear to you. Maybe it's something you need to do. It's an action you need to take. Or maybe it's something you need to stop doing. And perhaps you've been ignoring him. Maybe you've been rationalizing, minimizing. We do all kinds of stuff. Or maybe you've allowed fear. 
fear to get in the way. But today, today is your opportunity to turn things around. Your yes can be a major turning point in your life today. For some of us here today, this might be about your first yes to God ever, to God your creator. It's the yes that, that says, I trust you, yes. Yes, Lord, I trust you. I have been running and hiding from you my whole life because I've believed lies about you, but no more. You are good and you do love me. So Lord, I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I wanna follow you in your goodwill for my life from this day forward. Your yes will undoubtedly be a major, major turning point in your life. So I hope we all leave here today with a new and expanded perspective on this event that we call Christmas so that we can experience this profound event in human history in a deeper and very personal way. Far from some warm, sweet sentimentality, Christmas, it marks a major strategic move of God to fully reveal his beautiful character. And it's a major turning point in a very real war. A war in which you and me are either casualties or we are soldiers wielding our best weapon our yes, our yes for God, our yes. Because God does his greatest and most profound work through humble people who simply say yes. I want to tell you, I'm going to turn the corner and tell you something that seems like disconnected once again, but trust me, it's not. Yesterday, I rode, I took a bike ride on my new bike, which happens to be an e-bike. An e-bike is an electric bike. It means it has a little power assisted. So I've never been much other than my unicycle. That's fun. But uh, riding bikes, I'm like, that's a lot of work. I get tired and if you hit a hill, I'm like, eh, it's not for me. Well, the e amen. <laughs> but the e-bike, let me tell you, here's the thing about the e-bike, the little power assist. So on an e-bike, man, I can go further and I can climb higher with ease. So this e-bike has given me this new motivation to want to ride my bike now, you know, to get out and explore things. It, it, it's a new excitement and a new enthusiasm. So yesterday as I'm riding, took a little break and, and I'm thinking about the message and I'm like, this e-bike is like my yes for God. Because my yes for God, with a yes, I can go further, man. And with a yes, I can climb any mountain any hill, whatever comes my way, man, with ease, with my yes, I can do it. And with my yes, I've got a motivation and enthusiasm and excitement for this life, for God's purposes for my life, that just isn't possible anyway. It's all in the yes. When we go home today, if somebody says, all right, you went to church, what was the message about? And you're like, I don't know, she threw all this stuff at us. I'm like, here's the simple form. Three things. You just tell them, say, well, okay, here's what I learned today. There's a war, Christmas was the turning point, and my greatest weapon is my yes, yes. 
So I just want to do one more time for our thing before I pray. Can we practice yes together? Can we just practice? Yes, yes, we can. Okay, I'm just going to give a one, two, three, and you give me your best yes, okay? One, two, three. Yes! Awesome, let's pray. Lord God, what you have done is utterly extraordinary. Full revelation of yourself, all that Christmas represents when you come into your world to reveal yourself to us, to show us what you're really like, and you do it in this simple, simple way. So God, I pray, I pray that the profoundness of your simplicity and what you have done resonates deeply with each one of us today. And Lord, may it cause to rise in up us, rise up in us a yes, a yes to you, a yes for all that you have planned for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.